It's the show where Hawaii's newsmakers come to talk and to take your questions live. From the nation's capital to Honolulu Hale, from the state legislature to the fifth floor, we bring the experts to you and ask them what you want to know. Spotlight Hawaii with Yanji Denise and Ryan Palaisuji on the digital platforms of the Honolulu Star Advertiser. Happy Aloha Friday. Thanks for tuning in here to Spotlight Hawaii. I'm Ryan Kalei-Suji, joined by Yanji Denise. We're live this morning on the digital platforms of the Honolulu Star Advertiser. And this morning, we're going to focus in on all things regarding transportation here in the state of Hawaii. That's right. We are lucky enough to be joined by the State Department of Transportation Director, Ed Sniffen. He's actually on the road himself this morning, not in our state, but still made time for us. Thanks so much for being here. Happy to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me. So we know your agency covers a lot, and we want to get to a lot of uh, what you do there. Uh, but let's start sort of broad strokes, why you decided that this was a good opportunity for you, why you agreed to join the cabinet, and what your priorities are as director. Yeah, you know, for, for me, I wanted to make sure that I stayed involved uh, throughout the state um, because impact is what I thrive on. I want to make sure that um, we can have as much impact as possible to the benefit for the future of Hawaii. And if you want any kind of impact, Transportation is where to be. I mean, um, everything touches transportation and transportation touches everything. Everything we do ripples into the econ economy of Hawaii um, and the way people live and thrive uh, where we are. So it was a perfect opportunity for me. And, and I'm so I'm so honored that the governor um, extended this opportunity and the legislature um, appointed uh, or confirmed me. Well, let's dive into some of the uh, hot topics that concern your department. One of the uh, more talked about issues or topics regarding transportation is the red light camera program. Uh, Want to just get an update on how things are going with the program, how many citations maybe have been issued, and if we're seeing sort of the impact that this program was hopeful to accomplish uh, when it was re-implemented. You know, I think so far so good. Um, we had over 6,600 citations issued so far. That's not the success that I wanted to see. Uh, we wanted to make sure that um, we put out a program that allowed enforcement real-time, full-time uh, for these 10 intersections as part of the pilot. The whole intent is to make sure that we can put something out there so that people change the way they drive. Uh, we all know that if we're driving throughout a system, we see blue lights in an area. We're going to follow the rules uh, because, because somebody's there to keep us accountable. If we have something in place 24-7, that will always enforce, we're hopeful that everybody, everyone driving through that area will change the way they drive. We'll stop for each of those red lights every time. We haven't seen it so far. The good thing though is we've seen that uh, there's a definite reduction from the baseline data that we took uh, to the citation amounts that we're having right now. So not zero yet, but definitely less than before. There are some hotspots that, that are going up right now, uh, but we're working through the court systems to ensure that we start enforcing this throughout uh, to make sure everybody complies with the law. So when we talk about uh, the changes that you're hoping to see, obviously it would be good to have fewer citations because that would mean that people are actually slowing down. Uh, you're not seeing that at all? Or what are, what are you actually seeing in the system? And where are the areas that you still have the most citations at this point? Yeah, so we're still seeing the citations running through on the Lique Lique areas um, and on, on, um, on Vineyard Boulevard, uh, those areas near Palama and Liliha. Uh, we'd love to see this down to zero. I mean, that's, that's where we want to be. Um, we're not there yet, but we're still seeing less citations or less um, infractions than we did see in our baseline data, which is, again, a good thing. We're trying to be as fair as possible with everybody. We're telling everybody, this is where we're enforcing. 
This is how we're enforcing. We're giving everybody warning periods before we start the citation period. Once the citations start hitting, though, we want to make sure that we start keep enforcing to ensure that we keep everybody to following the law. Um, we're hopeful that this type of change in behavior will help everybody start living through the system. Again, we've been averaging 107 fatalities every year, and it's just not acceptable. we got to do something different to ensure that we can bring that number down. If you can talk about the expansion of the program, what does that timeline look like for the rollout of more uh, of these cameras uh, and, and what the overall goal is statewide uh, for the implementation of it? So, so far, we, we got the legislative approval to go with only 10 sites at this time and 10 sites in the Honolulu district, just to make sure that we could stay in one court district. That's um, a two-year period that we need to go through. And the two years were set to ensure that we not only got through citation periods, but also periods of, of court challenges to ensure we understand how we can improve the program. Um, we got challenged in different areas, and we lost on a couple of them because uh, there was transfers of titles uh, that weren't uh, documented on our side. Um, so the owner who was charged actually didn't own the car anymore because there's a transfer. And those are bugs that we need to work out through this program. Um, that's what this two-year period is for. At the end of the two years, we make a recommendation to the legislature on whether or not the program should move uh, further and, and expand it. From our perspective right now, just based on the numbers that we're seeing and based on the reductions that we saw from the baseline, we're leaning towards asking for an, um, you know, an extension of the program to ensure that we can, we can advance this statewide. And when you talk about that extension, would that be limited to Oahu or would you like to see that expanded to the neighbor islands as well? I'd love to see this in the neighbor islands as well. Speed is the culprit for every fatality we see throughout our system. And running red, red lights is just a symptom of it. You know, additionally, uh, somewhat linked to the red light camera, uh, we're also seeing, uh, of course, unfortunately, some pedestrian deaths. And there are some high notable cases, of course, of the accident that involved uh, the teenager from McKinley High School, Sarah Yara, uh, on Kapiolani Boulevard. You know, we saw the reaction, the community outrage in that moment, uh, the speed bumps and traffic uh, cameras that were set up in that area. If you can speak to, uh, you know, the really that being a catalyst for some sort of change in that area. Uh, and, and there are some who are concerned that it had to come to that result in order to see something like this change. Uh, how are you really weighing out pedestrian safety as well when incidents like this happen and listening to the community's concerns? You know, we started since 2018 in putting in, in um, speed management devices throughout the system uh, in advance of fatalities. We got tired of waiting for fatalities to occur before we started instating or insta um, putting in improvements in different areas. Now, the difficulty in the past was when we start slowing people down, people get upset and start, uh, start complaining to their policymakers and things get adjusted. From our perspective, it was better for us to push forward on these improvements sooner rather than later. So we started putting in raised pedestrian crosswalks and speed humps throughout our system since 2019. Um, and since that time, we put in 133 throughout the system. We've, tar we've targeted these improvements in areas that we knew there would be high rates of um, conflict between pedestrians and bicyclists and vehicles. Those are all school districts. So what we did was we put an edict out there that any, any place we have a crossing on a state system that supports a school that's not signalized, we're putting in a raised pedestrian crosswalk there, bar none. So throughout our system, we've done that. And that's statewide on Oahu and all, all islands as well. When we started to move forward, moving forward on that, we saw there were areas throughout the system where speed and conflicts were an issue as well. So we started extending our raised crosswalks and speed humps into those areas as well. We've been working with the counties now who are, are showing in their jurisdiction 
there's issues with um, speed in those portions near schools, and they'd like us to assist them in installing these raised crosswalks as well. And we're, we're happy to do it. So at the end of this, we could be up, upwards of 200 raised crosswalks in different areas in advance of, hopefully, uh, these types of fatalities. Now, the Sarayara um, incident was such a tragedy, mainly because it was absolutely 100% avoidable. Um, that being said, when those types of issues occur and the community comes out to push hard against it, we absolutely want to jump out and help to ensure that we can start moving forward on more safety improvements, more speed mitigation in different areas as fast as possible. You know, in that case, obviously, the community really welcomed that adaptation to the to the area. There are there's the raised crosswalks and there's there are the speed humps and then there's also the red light cameras. But most of the time when people hear there's going to be a red light camera in their neighborhood, that's not the response. I'm wondering what those conversations are like uh, and why, you, you know, what is the compelling argument to have these uh, mitigation devices put into neighborhoods? Really good question, a really good point. Uh, we try to make sure that we use the data as much as possible to show that these are these are the types of accidents and, and um, crashes that occurred in the past in this area. Whether there was fatalities or not was just luck in certain in certain cases. So we try to show the public, these are the types of issues that lead to fatalities that we're trying to address. We use the data to show that th these improvements will slow, slow speeds in this area to minimize potential crashes, but also minimize intensities of crashes in the future. And the biggest push towards that is what, what I used to say about our state system, and this was in 2016, um, all of our system is 100% safe, except for the 55% of people who are driving drunk, except for the 35% of people who are driving excessively fast, and except for the 25% of people who are driving distracted. If we got rid of all of those people on the system, 100% safe. I'm sorry, how, what percentage of people driving drunk? Yep, 55%, DUI, DWI. So in, in our fatality numbers, 55% of the fatalities are, are caused by people who are either drunk or drugged in that DUI portion. Huge numbers, absolutely avoidable. I used to say that all the time to try and change people's minds on how they do things. Ask people to make decisions up front so they wouldn't be driving drunk. It didn't necessarily help. So what I decided now and what we, the system, the, the state decided is instead of hoping that people start following the law, we'll now put things in place to make sure we minimize the potential of fatalities if people are driving drunk, if they're speeding, or if they're distracted. So if, if that happens on the system and they come up to that raised pedestrian crosswalk, they'll have to slow down. They have to make sure they break their speed to ensure they can get over those, those, those areas comfortably. When that happens, we minimize the potential for crashes and fatalities to occur on the system. That's the only way I could see uh, pushing this forward because we know we're, we're short on enforcement on the system. We know that people are not following the rules when, when not, they're not enforced. So we're trying to make sure that we, we're building a system that self-manages that speed. Uh, you know, I want to ask just the integration that, of course, you run the State Department of Transportation and you're also having to work with the different counties and their transportation departments. I'm wondering when you guys are talking about, uh, you know, raised crosswalks or these types of mitigation efforts, um, what that collaboration is like with the city counterparts. I mean, do you force, are there times when there are any conflicts where maybe the city doesn't want something? How do you resolve and get to a point where um, there is this sense of uh, shared commitment uh, to some of these concerns with all the different stakeholders when it comes to the differences between city and state uh, roads? You know, that's the thing. We always, we always defer to jurisdiction. Um, the great thing, though, is all counties, the city and all counties, 
are all committed to safety on their systems. They're all looking at ways to minimize speed of, on their systems. So we've not run into any county or any or, or the city who are against these improvements in different areas. And, and in actuality, a lot of the communities are helping as well. So because they're seeing these race crosswalks working really well on the state system, they're asking for it in their communities now. So we've committed from the state side to assist the city and the counties. If they want help in installing these, we'll do it for them. I'm curious about any results. I know it's very early to tell, but you're talking about quite a number of those raised crosswalks or, or speed bumps. And then, of course, the red light cameras that you talked about. Are you seeing people slowing down and, and, and how are you actually measuring success on this? So for us, the bottom line is fatalities. Um, the, the great thing is when we start looking at where we've installed these raised crosswalks, we've had zero fatalities. We have had six accidents or crashes in those raised crosswalk areas, but no major crashes, no, no incidents that, that increase the value, property value um, um, destruction over 3000 bucks or any injuries that were serious, which is the big count for us. That, that's what we're looking for. Now, the way we measure it throughout the system, though, to see or to, to see if they will work out is we look at uh, modeling the speeds throughout the system with and without that raised crosswalk. The great thing about Poly Highway, when we installed those crosswalks there, uh, because we we're paving through that area, we had to remove them a couple of times and replace them uh, so that the contractor could, uh, could pave through that zone. We saw the speed increases when those raised crosswalks were not there, and we saw them reduced again when we put them back in place. And so we have that model to, uh, to transfer to all other locations that we're putting these in at. We also work with Google now on our safety platform that helps us identify and model um, potential uh, sites of concern with or without those race crossers or some kind of speed control. And we can manage the speed real time or uh, monitor the speed real time through their system, through the data they collect. So the, the precursor to everything to see if it will work out is speed. Um, but the reality is we, we track the fatalities and major crashes throughout the system with and without those race crosswalks. Uh, you know, another thing that is, always gets attention, uh, somewhat, sometimes not in the best way, is the quality of our roads. And Hawaii sometimes ranks near the bottom uh, of just the overall quality and, and just of our efficiency of our roadway system. Uh, you know, we see it and we hear it in our communities with many people just being frustrated about potholes and, and different other issues on different roadways throughout the state. How does the Department of Transportation tackle something like that? Because, you know, you always hear that terms at times it feels like you're filling potholes with really you just need to repave the road. In your case, this is an actual situation. Uh, how do you uh, fix this entire system when there, is, there are so many variables involved with weather and uh, ocean that often deteriorate our roads? Yeah, and that's a really good question. We have to do it piece by piece. We started up in 2015. We were, I think, we're 51st out of 52 uh, out of the 50 states and two territories. So actually, one of the territories had better roads than the state of Hawaii. Um, since then, we've paved 1,200 lane miles or so, uh, and we only have 2,500 on our system. We had to make sure that we push forward on improving the roadways with the funding that we had. We knew we didn't have enough funding from the federal and state side, so we increased it. We made sure that we asked for more funding every year and got about 40 to 50 million over and above the authority that we normally get from the feds every year. Because of that, um, and I know that you guys drive around the islands, be because of that, I know you cannot drive through an area without running into some, some kind of construction zone. We made sure we pushed hard on getting those construction projects moving forward as fast as possible. Now, that being said, just repaving is not enough. We have to repave the right way. 
So some may see that some of these construction projects are taking longer than they had in the past. In the past, all we did was mill off the top two and a half inches and replace it with another layer of asphaltic concrete. In reality, it's just a cosmetic fix. It's just painting things black. So we didn't want to do that. What we did was reconstruct the roadways from the base up to ensure that that system will last a lot longer. We also changed the surface, uh, the riding surface that we put in place. Instead of putting our normal AC mix, we put in a polymer and trained asphalt that we use on airfields. It's a lot more durable, a lot stronger. It lasts at 20 to 25 years versus the seven years that that mill and field used to last. So we're not gonna be chasing our tail anymore on paving an area, going around the island and trying to repave it again. Now we're gonna have that system that lasts at 20 to 25 years after it's done. We started off on major roadways first. You saw, you saw it on Palilike, Elike, um, Nimitz. Um, all of the, the, the Chanskola routes are being, have been done. Our H1 corridor portions are being done right now. Once our major routes are done with our polymer and trained asphalt or our stone matrix asphalt that's going to last at 25 to 30 years, we can start pushing forward on the county roads as well. Now, for us, we, we get about 67 to 70% of the traffic on the state system. But with the 2,500 lane miles, we really only own about 33% of the roadways. The rest of it is owned by the counties, and they're constrained by budget as well. In the past, we used to take about 60 to 70% of the federal funds that came in and distribute 30% to the counties. We, after we start reconstructing all of our, or finish reconstructing all of our roadways with better materials by reconstructing the base, we can start changing that percentage to push more funding to the counties to ensure all of our roads throughout the state are better, not just the state roads. So that's the way we pushed it. We wanted to make sure we started off incrementally, use better materials, reconstructed it the right way, and start working with the counties to ensure that we can hit all the state roads. It's so interesting. And also one of the issues, of course, facing your agency and, and really our entire state is climate change. Um, when we look at some of the areas that tend to get flooded and then uh, big potholes or parts of the roads disappearing and then rebuilt right away, you know, to what extent is that factoring into your planning? Are you planning any larger scale, you know, moving of a, of a highway or a road out of those danger zones, especially, you know, we're now in uh, their El, El Nino conditions. I was just reading about how there's El Nino conditions in the Pacific. We are expecting some very strong storms potentially this hurricane season. So how does that all factor into the planning that you do? You just hit the $15 billion discussion right there. So when we, we, we move forward on our, our climate adaptation action plan in 2018 to make sure we could understand what, what kind of impacts we would see on our highway system. That report found that 20% of our roadways would be inundated by the year 2100. And the cost for us to either relocate or elevate those roadways, and this includes the utilities that are always also included in the roadways as well, about $15 billion. And that's, that's rough numbers just based on um, rules of thumb in different areas. Big numbers that we just don't have. So we want to make sure we, we run through this system systematically. When we work on all of the new roadways, we consider resilience and everything. Um, and I'll just go from the small examples. When we start looking at areas that flood in the past, where we had drainage, drainage areas that overtop that affect roadways, all of our systems were designed based on the 100-year flood. That was the, that was the standard. Um, when those, those areas keep flooding, understanding that our, our climate has a lot more significant um, weather more often. I mean, I think last year we had three 100-year storms in a year. 
um, we, we, we start considering whether or not our 100-year standard is substandard. And the answer is absolutely yes. So we, we start making sure that our drainage systems are, are much more robust. Our drainage um, areas are wider to ensure that we can pass more flow through those areas. Um, that being said, when we do that and we reconstruct bridges with larger hydraulic openings, it costs more. It just costs more money. So again, we're putting more money into infrastructure now, which means we can pay for less improvements as we go forward, which means, again, we need more money. So <laughs> we keep chasing the federal government to ensure that we keep getting it. The great thing is, we have our infrastructure, um, our IIJA, our Infrastructure Jobs Act, right? Um, that is a historic improvement in funding for transportation. Um, this is a once in a lifetime opportunity for us. It raised our, um, our federal allotment by, um, from 180 million bucks to 220 million in the first year. So $40 million increase immediately, which is tremendous. Not life-changing, but tremendous. It allows us to build a, another couple of projects every year. At the end of the federal fiscal year, when states can't use their funding, um, Federal Highways puts that money back into a, a, a bank and asks all the states if you have more needs and if you have the wherewithal to deliver on it. Uh, we always say yes. So we got another 40 to 50 million every year um, throughout the, this IIGA. Now, the great thing, though, is, the, and the life-changing piece of this is, in IIGA, there's a $50 billion discretionary program that we can compete for. And so far, the state of Hawaii, two state projects and four county projects were selected for $150 million in addition to the funding that we normally get. So we've been very competitive um, on this discretionary grant process. All that being said, um, we're pushing more money into different types of projects to ensure that we can address climate change. So in areas that, um, that we know that communities are going to be there and the roadways are necessary, like Honopilani Highway on Maui, West uh, Services West Maui. We know we have the land above the, the existing um, communities um, that the county owns. We're moving that highway. Uh, we got another 45 million from the federal government to help us move that portion of the highway for, for six miles or so to get us out of the inundation zone. Um, when we started looking at the north shore of, of Oahu from Haula to Kaava, that 10 mile stretch, by 2100, that, that roadway is gonna be gone. We're starting conversations now with the community and with our, with our policymakers to ensure we understand what that land use is going to look like in that area so we can start making setting plans to move forward on either relocating that road, elevating that road, or changing the way we service that area. We don't know how we're going to do it yet, but we're starting the planning now to ensure that we plan for it. That all being said, we still got to service the community now. So there's going to be re, um, repaving that area to ensure that our infrastructure stays solid for that next 50 years before we got to worry about that innovation. There's so much to talk about with the Department of Transportation. Uh, so I want to quickly just if, with the last remaining time that we have here is, is switch over to uh, airports. Uh, there always seems to be a lot happening at the Daniel K International Airport uh, with a number of projects that are happening. We know that uh, there's also the modernization project that continues to move forward. What can you tell us about some of uh, the updates that are happening there? Uh, and also, if you can update us on the story of the bed bugs that were also found in that uh, in one of the terminals. Uh, what can you update us on, on everything about the airport, basically? <laughs> well, let, me, let me start with the bed bugs. They're gone. <laughs> so let, let, me, let me just say that. Um, as soon as we, we were, uh, the, the bed bugs were reported, our staff went out there and started using some non-toxic uh, materials to, to start killing the bed bugs off. It's a citrus-based one, and then we used a cedar-based one later on. We started with that first and started seeing clean to ensure that we started controlling the population. 
Then we brought in um, exterminators to ensure that we followed up with it. So for four weeks straight, we made sure that we killed everything in that area. And we not only did it in the terminals that we found it in, we did it in, in that whole Terminal 2 area, making sure that we contained everything first um, and then eliminated everything. And to, to date, we're, we're bed bug free and we hope to stay that way. Um, so that, that's gone. Um, our, our staff did an amazing job making sure they followed up, uh, not only with our airlines, but also with the passengers in that area to ensure that we're bed bug free. Um, and um, we made sure that uh, we checked the dogs too, so that they were bed bug free as well. So that's all good. Um, on, um, at HNL, on the Daniel K. Noe Airport, the big improvement we're making out there is the runway. Uh, we just reconstructed runway 8 left, our major runway in that area. We finished up uh, that portion of 8 left to ensure that uh, we wouldn't impact travel during this busy summer season. So we finished up right before Labor Day, make sure that the airlines wouldn't be impacted from there. Now we're just focusing on the taxiways that are off of the runways uh, so that we won't impact their operations there. But we want to make sure that those taxiways are in good shape so that they don't bring any debris onto the runway uh, when, when airplanes come on. But the big focus for us is making sure that we look at the experience for our travelers from the curb into the gates. So as you saw, we've been doing a lot of baggage, uh, baggage handling work um, in all of our, our airports, especially at the Daniel Kanoe Airport. So the push is to ensure that we can make that operation a lot more efficient. And also to move it from the front of the house, you saw where you used to dump your baggage on a system that goes in the front of the house, goes to the back, moving it to the back of the house. What that does is open up all those lobby spaces as well, make it a lot more spacious, make that experience a lot better for all of our, um, our passengers that come through. Then we're re redoing all of our terminal two areas to ensure that the hold rooms are in much better shape as we go forward. We want everything now to look like Malka, um, that Malka Conquest. It's brand new, it's beautiful. I want the whole airport to look like that. And as we're doing this, we're planning out how we build out that Diamond Head Concourse. It's gonna be a $1.2 billion improvement for that airport, not only with better gates in those areas, but better experiences for everybody in, uh, that come to the airport. It's a pretty big day for the city and county of Honolulu. Skyline is opening today. I know that this is, of course, a city project, but, uh, you know, transportation, it all integrates into each other. How do you anticipate uh, having the rail up and running to impact what your office does? You know, in general, and this is just my, my thoughts on, on, on how things work out. Uh, when we start talking to the public uh, who voted for rail, and, and um, this is not nothing against rail. I, I love it. I think it's a great, a, a great investment into the future. But when I talk to my peers and my counterparts on why we voted for rail, it was so that the person driving next to me would ride rail into work so I can have more road, roadway for me, right? Um, I, in general, in the beginning, I think most of the people who ride rail will be those that are already on public transit right now. So I don't think it's going to take a lot of the traffic off of the roadways in the beginning. Um, but what rail will do is make sure that there is an opportunity uh, or an alternative for everyone who, who are going to be moving into different areas. I mean, to me, it's, it's, a, it's an, a huge investment into land use. Now we can start densifying the urban core with the housing that we absolutely need for the public without increasing traffic further as we go forward. So to me, it's going to be significant improvements in the future um, as, we, as we move forward to, to more housing and hitting our housing needs. You know, you've been in this department for some time now uh, in the prior administration, now serving as director in this green administration. And I just, you know, just getting your thoughts as someone who has seen various parts of this department. Uh, is the Department of Transportation too large? I mean, when you look at just everything that encompasses right from the roadways 
uh, on all islands. You're talking about harbors. You're talking about airports. We, I mean, we didn't really even get to talk about harbors and piers and the upgrades that need to happen there. Uh, but there are some that say that this department is just too big. As its leader now, do you think that it's too big? Do you think that there needs to be some sort of reorganization or do you think that things are manageable the way they are? I think we need to be bigger. I think there's so many things that we can do with this department. I mean, I'll just say this. So the Department of Transportation is filled with implementers, the movers. They want to make sure we get things done. And when we start looking at the, the challenges for Hawaii, I mean, like I said before, we, we make sure that our resources are pushing forward to fill the state's priorities, not just infrastructure. Uh, housing and homelessness. We don't build houses at, at the DOT, but we build the infrastructure that's necessary for developers to move forward on their home, housing. So if we want to incentivize developers to move forward faster, we can do it by the projects that we, we put into, into the queue. Uh, that's why we put in $120 million into um, access into Kapolei Kalailoa. We wanted to make sure that more businesses moved out there. If there's more businesses there and more opportunities in that area, those that live on the Leeward Coast and in central Oahu don't have to drive into town every day. Um, to make that that hour and a half commute. They can work out there. And that's the intent. We want to make sure that we incentivize that. If we want more affordable housing, we work with developers and tell them, we will build the facilities that you need in exchange for X amount of affordable housing. If you can do that for us, that pencils out on the investment that we're giving, we'll do it. Those are the types of triggers or, or levers that we can pull to ensure that we start in, in affecting those types of needs in, in Hawaii. Uh, for us, we don't educate kids, but... Every time we move forward on a large project in communities, we tie into the local high schools to ensure that they have a say in the way the project moves forward. And when they, when the kids start getting involved in the projects, all of the community supports them. So we get better feedback from the different communities from that perspective. The kids not only have a great opportunity to improve their community at this time, but hopefully take those, um, those lessons with them as they move forward to see if there's other potential um, outcomes in, in their careers uh, in their past that they're going through. I mean, we, we're not the leads on clean energy, but we can convert all of our, our fleets to electric vehicles. We can make sure that electrification is a priority throughout the state. So there's, there's so much that we can impact just on the highway side. Add in airports and harbors to that, there's huge impacts that we can make to make sure that we can affect those priorities throughout the state. We want to finish where we started. We are, it is the top of the hour, so we are out of time. But uh, we talked about speed right to start the red light cameras and those pedestrian crossings. I'm wondering, uh, when we look at the fatalities thus far, you said on average, I think, 115 a year. How are we doing? And, and what is your message to everyone as they venture out on the roads, especially as we head into a holiday weekend? Yeah. So this year, we're at 46 fatalities. Um, the great thing is there's, we're 16 less than last year. The bad thing is 46 people died on the system. Um, when you start looking at the, the types of fatalities we had, um, they're 100% avoidable. Again, 55% of those fatalities were caused by, by DUI, DWI, people who are drunk or drugged. Um, speeding is involved in 45% of those fatalities that we saw for this year. Of the, of the 45, 46 fatalities, um, nine of them were homeless individuals. They were in areas that were in areas that um, some of the drivers didn't expect. So big thing for, for the public, especially as we get into this holiday weekend. First, do not drink and drive. I mean, that's never a good thing. Even if you get home, um, that's by the grace of God that you didn't kill somebody or kill yourself. So make the choice up front um, to if you're going to go out and drink, have a plan to come back home. Don't drive out there. Second, don't speed. Because no matter what the cause of a crash was, whether it was drinking or driving, whether it was a distraction, the, the reason for somebody dying is always speed. 
If we can get rid of those two things on the on the system, our fatalities get cut immediately. All right, Ed Sniffin, thank you so much. I know that you are on the road, uh, so we really appreciate you taking time uh, to join us this morning and update us on everything that's happening uh, within your department. A lot going on, and we look forward to catching up with you uh, the next time to hear more about how things are progressing within the department. So thanks so much. Thank you. We'd love to be back. Aloha. Mahalo. Wow, Ryan, you know, I thought your last question at the end was so interesting. Should this department be scaled down? And uh, Ed Sniffen there saying, no, he wants to do more. And then just all of the ways that his department can have an impact beyond what we think of traditionally as the Department of Transportation. Very interesting. You know, the the thing I love about Ed Sniffen is that he's so enthusiastic. Uh, He brings so much energy to the job. And you can see that he just has an appetite for change there. Uh, He really wants people to drive more safely. And that is going to mean more of those raised pedestrian crosswalks, more speed bumps, and it sounds like eventually more red light cameras. Yeah. And again, this is a project that has been funded by the legislature. And so really, uh, it's an opportunity for the Department of Transportation to implement this program and then look at its results and expand beyond. Uh, You heard from the director there saying uh, this is something that they want to do beyond just Oahu and really get into the neighbor islands as well, uh, as he really sees the importance of this as a way to help mitigate some of those speeding. And and you heard the numbers, which were quite startling and and quite surprising about uh, the number of fatalities and directly how they're related to uh, drunken driving, to speeding, uh, and to other incidents that cause distracted drivers to uh, result in some of these deaths that we're already seeing this year. But a real commitment from the Department of Transportation uh, to look for ways, of course, to slow drivers down, to catch their attention, whether it be through traffic cameras, through pedestrian crosswalks and through raised uh, speed bumps as well. Uh, but also the, their collaboration he talked about with the city and counties, as well as uh, just the various stakeholders involved uh, to really make this a priority moving forward. Uh, in the wake of some of these high publicized tragedies. Yeah, in some cases, neighborhoods asking for these to be put into their communities, and he is ready to go on that. And also, you know, they track the data, and he was able to track, uh, share the data from the Poly Highway that, you know, when they had to take them away, they saw the speeds go up immediately when they put them back in. Of course, folks slowing down, and so they see a direct impact there, and that, of course, leads to public safety. Also good to hear, no more bedbugs at the airport. Everybody's happy about that. Um, and really, a lot of plans to improve the airport, uh, the the main airport here in Honolulu, and also looking at the impact of climate change and how it affects their planning when it comes to repaving and in some cases even moving some of our roads. Yeah, and really using those federal dollars to help uh, the state of Hawaii uh, not only prove that it is needed here, but that it will go to good use. Uh, The director saying that there are also additional ways for the state to bid for more money and to make its case to Uh, really try to get more federal support for some of these larger projects. And so you heard from the director there saying that this will be a priority uh, of this department to ensure that they can uh, be able to keep working on some of these projects, but also look into the future about how they're going to uh, really solve issues like climate change and its impacts to Hawaii's roadway. So great to hear from the director again. He is somebody that has been in the department for some time now. uh, So really has an eye on everything that's happening within the state when it comes to transportation. So we look forward to hopefully catching up with him again in the future. On Monday, we're switching gears. We're going to be focusing in on the economy. 
That's right. We'll talk to Paul Brubaker, economist there with TZ Economics. He always has so much interesting data to share. Uh, would love to hear from him as we start a fiscal year, you know, what his outlook is for the state of Hawaii. When we uh, had talked to him in the past, we talked about the health of our regional banks, regional banks, of course, in the last few months coming under a lot of scrutiny uh, and just getting his take on the housing market as well. Paul always has a lot to share. We hope that you will be joining us here at 1030 on Monday. In the meantime, have a very safe weekend. Uh, if you can, please do slow down because I think those words from Ed Sniffen really ringing true this weekend. Be safe out there. And if you have to, just take an Uber. That's right. We'll see you right back here on Monday for another episode of Spotlight Hawaii. Until then, take care. Aloha. Aloha.